Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. everyone, it's good to see you, and I uh, hope you're having a great uh, summer. Is summer over now? Is it? I don't know. Not for me, but uh, I know uh, school is back in for, for many of you, so that kind of marks the, the end. The hot weather will stay with us, so I promise. So don't feel bad about that. Um, and excited to uh, have the opportunity to teach you today. And uh, never, that never gets old. And especially this topic, we're talking again about the Holy Spirit um, and if you missed last weekend's sermon, they'll throw up a link where you could, and I think it'd be a great idea for you to invest 30 or 40 minutes just watching last weekend's sermon because each sermon builds on the last one. There's so much to talk about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're doing four weekends, so you missed 25% of it if you weren't here last weekend. So, you, But you can catch up. So that's great. And it is time well spent because I think the Holy Spirit is the least understood of uh, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. I was reminded of this uh, years ago when I was in Germany. I was in a church named after the Holy Spirit. Uh, I had spoken at a pastor's conference, and my host was showing me the beautiful Bavarian countryside. So we ended up in Heidelberg, which is a wonderful uh, medieval uh, city with a huge cathedral uh, dominating the skyline. You can see in that picture the Heidelberg Castle is in the background, and then down in the middle of the city, there's that, that darker brown uh, cathedral, and it is huge. Uh, and at lunchtime, so we're sitting at a cafe, just staring at this uh, unbelievable church, uh, filling our view, and uh, this church is built in the 1400s. They say it took 150 years. I think they have a picture of it. Uh, uh, it took 150 years to build this church in the 1400s. And so we're sitting there having lunch, and this, uh, this really sweet German guy just befriended us, telling us everything we wanted to know about Heidelberg, and especially talking about uh, the church, the Holy Spirit Church. So he led us across the street. We went into the Basilica, where he told us that we had to return on Pentecost Sunday, because that was the big day. Pentecost Sunday, he said, we celebrate the Holy Spirit. It's the best day of the year. Um, and this was a somewhat of a surprise to me because I hadn't met anyone in Germany that was celebrating anything about Christianity. Uh, so I asked the man to tell us about this Holy Spirit. Well, he kept talking about the cathedral, but I kept pressing the issue, asking, you know, why is this called the Church of the Holy Spirit? And who is this Holy Spirit? And finally, he just looked at me like I was an idiot. And uh, he said, it's a dove. It's a dove. And uh, I'm like, a dove? And he says, yeah, just come back on Pentecost Sunday. They'll explain everything. And I said, well, what happens on Pentecost Sunday? And he says, oh, it's the greatest Sunday. 
He says, we have mass, and, uh, and at the end of the mass, right before the benediction, uh, Father releases the Holy Spirit. And it flies around the room. And it's just great. We all cheer, and then he does the blessing, and then we all go out and get drunk. It's the best Sunday of the year. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I left that day thinking maybe Heidelberg could use a little expanded teaching uh, in regards to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I think so could we. So we're here, hence this series, and today we are studying the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is not a dove that flies around before you get drunk. Uh, it's God's empowering presence. Say that with me. All right, so let's open our Bibles uh, to the, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. And John 14, uh, these, these chapters uh, give us uh, the Last Supper and what happened in that final meal where Jesus is praying for them and he's giving final instructions before his arrest. And in John 14, too, he tells them, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And everything Jesus is saying is somewhat confusing to them. So they have a lot of questions. And then in verse 16, he makes a big promise to them. Do you see it? John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you guys as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He goes on, and we'll just skip down to verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So honestly, I doubt that anything Christ said that night made much sense to them. He probably lost them as soon as he said he was leaving them. And they especially would have been confused when he went on to say, it's actually to your advantage that I, if I leave because I cannot send the Holy Spirit to you until I leave. And you really need the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but <clears throat> honestly, how could they understand this? And within a few uh, hours, Jesus is arrested and the following day he's executed uh, but then on Sunday, he defeats death. So they're thinking, well, he said he was leaving and now he's back. But then he only stayed for 40 days, uh, which he spent reviewing everything he had taught them before, but now in the context of his death and resurrection. And then he led them to the top of the Mount of Olives where he ascended to heaven, leaving as he said he would. And before he left, he said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait together. The Holy Spirit is going to come to you, And then he re referenced the Holy Spirit's coming as a baptism, a baptism, which is interesting, uh, an immersion. Uh, John, he said, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you will receive power uh, when that happens and you'll be my witnesses all over the world. So 10 days later, this happened uh, on the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Uh, they're all gathered together, and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and, 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 and there's a, the sound of a, of a crazy, loud, like hurricane force wind. And uh, they saw little flames resting uh, on top of each other. And then they all began to praise God, but in languages they had not been taught. Uh, and Jerusalem is packed with people for the festival. So uh, when the Spirit baptized Christ followers spilled out onto the street, everyone heard them praising God, but in languages that were of the people that had come for the festival. Then Peter stepped forward and explained to the confused crowd what was happening. This, he said, is what the prophet Joel prophesied. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter went on to preach a powerfully convicting message to the point that where people were crying out to him, tell us what to do, tell us what to do. And he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Well, that day, 3,000 people repented and were baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Spirit's gift. And from that point forward, Christians could be personally indwelt, personally empowered by the very Spirit of God himself, completely changing them. And the change is obvious. Even those, you know, we read about it 2,000 years later. And the change between Acts 1 and the end of Acts 2 is dramatic. You can just see it. That Christ who once walked with them was now in them. The apostles were now preaching the same way that Jesus preached. And they were healing people like Jesus had healed people. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John heal a guy that hasn't walked his whole life. He's 40 years old. He's never walked. And he's a well, he, he would be well known. He was there at the gate entering the temple. And people would take care of this guy. But Peter and John came by and the guy wanted, you know, reached out for some money. And they said, hey, we don't have any money for you. We got something better. And next thing you know, the guy is walking. So he goes with them and a crowd gathers because, yeah. And uh, Peter preaches a sermon about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, which gets Peter and John arrested and taken before the very same men who had who had earlier executed Christ. So Peter and John should have been terrified like they were on the night of Christ's arrest. But instead of being intimidated, these spirit-filled Christ followers confronted Israel's most powerful leaders, telling them they had blood on their hands and they would be answering to God for what they had done to his son. And then in Acts 4.13, we read that the religious leaders, this is when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, knowing they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were shocked taking note that these men had been with Jesus. They told the disciples to stop preaching about Jesus in public, but the guy was, that they had healed was standing right there. So they felt like kind of a powerless threat. Uh, there was really nothing they could, could say. And Peter and John responded, judge for yourself whether we should obey you or God. But we're, we're not going to stop telling people about Jesus. The disciples went back to the Christians and told them all that had happened. The church erupted in praise and the believers giving God the glory, asking God to do even more miracles and give them even more boldness. And then Acts 4, it happens again. The place they're in is shaken and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit again and begin to praise God. 
So these were absolutely wonderful days in the early church. What Jesus had said would happen had happened. And it really was to their advantage that he had left because he had sent the Holy Spirit and it was the Holy Spirit who had changed them. Think about that. The core leadership of this group had hung out with Jesus for over three years. Every day they had hung out with Jesus, the Son of God, for over three years and that had not changed them. But then one experience with the Holy Spirit and they were absolutely transformed. Being with Jesus is not what empowered them. As long as Christ was physically present, they were content to let him do all the heavy lifting. He did all the miracles. He did all the teaching. And what did they do? Not much. They bickered about the silliest things. They asked the, the most basic of questions over and over. Even up to the last night, they were arguing about who was the coolest Christian. In Gethsemane, they fell asleep after Jesus had specifically asked them if they would stay awake. And then when he woke them, Peter grabbed a knife and attacked the, the servant of the guard. Probably the only guy that was coming for Jesus that was unarmed, and that's who Peter decides to fight with. Most of the future leaders of the church fled in terror that night. Peter and John, they stayed with following Christ at a distance, and when they got to the high priest's house, Neither one of them stepped up to, to testify in Christ's defense. By Jewish law, anyone could step up and, and be a character witness for an accused person. But John stood silent, and Peter denied ever even meeting Jesus. See what I'm saying? Being with Jesus all that time, sitting under his daily teaching, had not empowered them. But then on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit showed up and immediately they had the power of God coming out of them. Soon the apostles were working miracles, refusing to quiet down in the name of the real threats, uh, in, 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 in the face of the real threats of, of, of these, these folks that had nailed Christ to a Roman cross. But see, now they had received Christ's empowering presence, making them brave. And that's not the only thing that changed about them. Before the Holy Spirit empowered them, these guys were prone to selfish arguments about who among them was the most awesome and who was Jesus' favorites. But now they all moved in together, sharing all their possessions. There was an unbelievable unity among them. The same disciples who had once asked for special seating in heaven were now waiting tables at the communal meals. Those who had once refused to wash each other's feet were now taking the role of servants. And how exactly had the Christians so drastically changed? I already told you. The Holy Spirit changed them. Jesus had sent his own spirit not only to be with them, but to be in them. So now, gone were the immature arguments and fearful actions. Now they were unified, unstoppable, ready to lead, ready to serve, ready to bring heaven down to earth. When Christ was with them, he alone pressed forward the agenda. Now that the Holy Spirit was in them, they all were pressing forth Christ's agenda, doing everything Jesus had done because he now lived inside of them. God has sent his only son as the solution for the world, but now with the Holy Spirit, they became the solution for the world. Spirit-filled, spirit-empowered human beings. And of course, nothing could stop them once they had been baptized in God's empowering presence. Say it with me again. God's empowering presence. That's the Holy Spirit. Soon the world would be labeling the Christians, uh, the, 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 the believers, Christians. 
The world called them there. It was actually derogatory. They think they're little Christs, just running around, being like Jesus. And the Christians said, that's exactly who we are. Thousands of copies of our Galilean rabbi. All right, great story, right? Come on. You're like, yeah, I heard it before. You know, whatever. That is a fantastic story. That is an amazing story. It's unbelievable. So, but I want to make it personal. Can I make it personal? Can I ask you a personal question? All right, good. Uh, do you feel like you've received the same Holy Spirit empowering? I mean, I'm not saying you had the exact same experiences they had. I doubt that anyone has been here where the house shook and the wind blew and flames came down and you all spoke in these languages. You know, uh, <clears throat> that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, have you had experiences with the Holy Spirit that changed you and changed your thoughts, your behavior, your attitude, your courage, uh, giving you the right words, giving you unexplainable wisdom, maybe even God worked a miracle? Have you been transformed by the Holy Spirit? Were you once selfish and prone to argue and now you're peaceable and ready to, to serve other people? That's the question. Have I personally experienced God's empowering presence? Because that's where it really comes home. We didn't come today to hear stories about the Holy Spirit. We came today to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you could say, well, I don't know. I've never really, I don't know if I've ever felt the Holy Spirit. Well, that's because you're probably a more cerebral person than a feeling person. A feeler can feel anything. Uh, a feeler watches a, a Hallmark commercial and calls the people they love. Um, and that's wonderful. But some of us aren't like that. Some of us, when the commercials come on, we go in to get some potato chips, you know, because it just doesn't do anything for us. So for the more cerebral Christians, you may have not felt anything. That's not the issue. The issue is, after you experienced, <clears throat> you repented of your sins, you were baptized, and you, you said, God, I'll take whatever you have for me, then did things change in your life? That would be it. The evidence would be the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that, that he, you, you were immersed in the Holy Spirit. You know, that word baptized, that's all it means, immersed. <clears throat> it, it means like soaked. Uh, it... it it's like marinated. And you know, whenever I eat at a, at a good Mexican restaurant and they bring out those, those carrots and those onions and all those vegetables, and they, and then, but they don't taste like carrots anymore, that's, that's what God is talking about, a soaking in something that changes the flavor of the item. That's what I'm talking about. Have you ever done anything or, or in any way that would cause people to say, wow, you know, she's different. Or like they said about Peter and John, she's been with Jesus. All right, so hang on to that thought. I'm gonna come back to it. Let's talk about um, the, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit because we've been talking about the Holy Spirit as an empowerer and we're gonna get back to that. But actually the main word Jesus used for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete, paraclete. This is a Greek word. Uh, the para is the prefix and we still use this uh, paramedics and paralegals. It means with or alongside. Um, and then uh, when you put it together in Greek with this, this, this second part that says uh, cleat, uh, it forms this word paraclete, which means a legal, legal advocate or uh, one that's summoned to help you, to be with you, to advise you, to counsel you. That's what the Lord promised after they left, that he would summon his own spirit and the spirit would be with them and in them 24-7 
doing all these things for them. And so wherever they went, the Holy Spirit went with them, even to other countries. His empowering presence could stay in Jerusalem with James, but then go to India with Thomas all at the same time. And Jesus physically was not able to do that because he limited himself to a physical body. So he said it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes because Mary, his mom, ends up in Ephesus, but Mary Magdalene stays in Jerusalem. They both are full of the same Holy Spirit, which is really cool. And then we call it God's empowering presence. Man, I hope that phrase is sticking in your brain because that's the Holy Spirit. And we call God, the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence because of what Jesus said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, not power like authority, the ability to boss people around. No, it's, 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 it's dunamis. This is the Greek word dunamis. It means ability. You will receive the ability, the energy to do everything Jesus did when the Spirit of Jesus comes upon you and is in you. And what's really cool is on the day of Pentecost, Peter opened it up to all of us. Uh, he quoted the Old Testament prophet Joel to say that this promise of receiving the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the crowd that day. It wasn't just for the early church. Peter said that Joel said, the Holy Spirit is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, for you, for your children, and for all who are afar off. And why is that so cool? Because that's us. Now we're not just reading a story, we're in the story. The promise Joel made that Peter affirms still stands that Christ's followers, the truly repentant, can be baptized in water in Jesus' name and then we can receive the same gift they received. We can be baptized in God's empowering presence, immersed, soaked in that presence. We can soak in God's presence when we gather and when we are apart. Christ didn't leave us as orphans to slug it out on our own. He soaked us in his personality uh, so that we don't have to try harder and wear ourselves out to please God and witness to our neighbors and, and, and battle our own demons. We are given God's empowering presence so that we can be Christians, so that we can be millions of little Christs, millions of copies of the Son of God bringing heaven to earth. And friends, you can't do that in your own ability. You can't do that in your own strength. The real Christian life is the spirit-filled, spirit-directed, spirit-empowered journey where God's spirit lives inside with your spirit. And you and the Holy Spirit work together and you bring God's will to earth. You pray, not my will, but your will be done. And then you start doing it. We don't just pray for God's will to be done and then back away and let him do his will. We pray, your will be done, and then we go to work doing what starts to come naturally for us. And it's things that are different than what we used to do. And this is what it is to be truly spiritual. Have you ever had somebody just so annoying and they're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I'm just very spiritual. And you're supposed to just go, oh, you know, uh, that's ridiculous. We're all spiritual people. We were created body and spirit. Uh, and, and for the Christian, what that means to be spiritual is not something we brag about because we're not bragging about our own spirit. My spirit is really sinful. My spirit wants to do things that I shouldn't do. 
But then the Holy Spirit has come in and he starts to change that. So now he gives me new desires for my heart. He gives me new things that I want to do now. It's not, my spirit is not, it's not only, oh, you're so spiritual. No, it's just like, no, God is working through me. Think about it, me. Think about it. God could work through you. You. Yeah, it's weird. I know. So I want to ask you again. Same question. Do you think you have been baptized in God's Holy Spirit? What evidence is there in your worship, your words, your attitudes, your actions that would cause you to believe that you'd received all that God has for you? How much of Jesus do people see in you? And please, I'm not trying to shame you or even give you a pep talk so you go out there and try harder to be a better Christian. Uh, Actually, the opposite. Uh, I'm encouraging you to not respond that way, but just to open up and ask the Holy Spirit to make the changes in you. Not for you to change yourself, but for the Holy Spirit to to, to marinate you in Jesus' very personality. And that's what we're going to pray for in just a few minutes. I've got a couple more pages, so whenever I say just a few minutes, you know it's like 10 or 15. All right. So like, don't start grabbing your stuff because we're going to be here. Uh, but, but we are going to take time at the end of the sermon, service to just pray for a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. That you would take the Apostle Peter at his word when he made it this simple. Repent of your sins, be baptized in water, and receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, the same gift that the early believers had. So my question is, do you believe that could happen to you? I mean, I think some of us read the New Testament and what happened to them, and we believe it happened to them, but then when it comes to happening to us, it's like, yeah. You know, so you come up out of the waters of baptism, and then after a brief spiritual high, you kind of settle into a, a powerful, uh, powerless life because we are somehow not accessing the Spirit's promise to dwell in us. Uh, and that's where we have to evaluate. Is my knowledge about Jesus, just about Jesus, or is my knowledge about Jesus because I'm experiencing life with Jesus because his spirit is living inside of me? Uh, Do I do things now that Jesus would do, and I'm not bragging on myself, I'm actually amazed because I go, wow, look at right there, there's evidence that that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at at how I'm living my life. It's different. And... uh, and, 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 and now when I pray, I don't tell God to, what to do. I, I tell him what I want because the Bible says for me to do it. But then I, I just say, God, you know, what do you want? And then I realize that I'm part of God working out his will on planet um, Earth. So uh, a lot of you, when I spoke, I asked that question, you said yes, yes. And then some of you, are, you're still thinking about it. And so let's say, well, what would cause a person to uh, not experience this. Uh, And I think for some people, they just haven't been taught that they can have God's spirit dwelling in them. And it's actually God's spirit that transforms us. It's not knowing about Jesus that transforms us. It's the spirit of God that changes us. Uh, And then others of us, I think we might be a little afraid of the Holy Spirit because it's kind of mystical. Or maybe we've we've heard of some, uh, like, fanatic Pentecostals. And I, I, I say that because I am one. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't think you think I'm kooky. I think you think I'm, do you think I'm normal? I mean, I hope you think I'm normal. <laughs> but I, I grew up around some kind of kooky Pentecostal stuff and I turned out okay. 
Uh, I think I kind of moderated that a bit. Oh, I know I did, actually. But, uh, but man, those elite, man, those people are really passionate. And if you can be passionate in your worship and your lifestyle, you know, I'll live with a little kookiness uh, uh, in my reputation because there's so much passion there. Or maybe you grew up the opposite in a, like a church or a denomination where it's like, oh, no, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, that all ended in the Bible. Don't talk about that, you know. Uh, we're all supposed to just have our quiet time and work out our own salvation. And, and it's like, okay, so whatever you, 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 you grew up in, or maybe you grew up with a dove flying around the room and then you went and got drunk. I don't know. <laughs> but I just say this, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Be more afraid of not living in the Holy Spirit. If I was a devil, I would use any strategy I could to keep you far away from the empowering presence of God. The devil fears what you could become if you ever became really comfortable with God's spirit living in you and working out his will through you. Um, so I'm going to encourage you to open up today in a fresh way uh, and to ask God once again to give you everything he has for you. Whether that's wisdom or boldness or patience or, or whatever it is, the, the character of Christ can be lived out in you after being baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, one more thought, and then we're gonna go. So now you know you're down to about five to seven minutes. Uh, and this thought is about the Apostle Paul. And we're gonna spend the next two weekends studying the words of the Apostle Paul, because he's the guy in the Bible that talks the most about the Holy Spirit. And I love Paul because he always makes it practical. For Paul, the Holy Spirit is just how we experience God. It's how we know Jesus. And if Paul were here today, he would not so much want to teach you more facts about the Holy Spirit as he would want to just experience the Holy Spirit. We learn more about the Holy Spirit by just experiencing him. And for Paul, an act of Christianity required a constant empowering and consistent presence of the Holy Spirit communicating Jesus to us and then through us to our neighbors. God with us, God among us, God in us. I'm going to have you say that. God with us, God among us, God in us. Again, God with us. And that's kind of our mantra this week. God is with me and God is in me. That's awesome. Uh, so Paul gets to Ephesus. And Acts chapter 19, you can read about this later. He meets these 12 guys and these guys are really trying to be good people. And uh, for, at first when Paul meets them, he thinks they're Christians. And then the longer he's with them, he's like, I don't know what you guys are, but did you, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, what? The what? And he's like, the Holy Spirit. And they go, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's all, okay. He says, well, what, wh whose baptism were you baptized in? And they go, John the Baptist, who else? And Paul goes, oh, and what he had run into is, you know, John the Baptist was dead, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so here the, these guys are, years after John's death, and a thousand miles from Jerusalem, and they're trying to continue to live out that, what John had preached. And remember John's preaching, it was pretty harsh, right? So here these guys were, trying to live that out. And Paul says, no, John's baptism was only a baptism of repentance. Don't you guys know? Remember when he said that, that he only baptized with water, but one would come later that would baptize with fire? Uh, you guys need a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when they heard that, this, they were baptized again 
in water, but this time in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And I bet you their life got a lot better after that. When it wasn't in their own energy anymore that they were trying to repent and live a life of repentance. Now they were living a life of fullness in the Spirit. So I have to wonder, if Paul uh, were still alive and he came to America, would he still be running into people who are like those 12 guys in Ephesus, trying to live out biblical holiness but without the power to do it? You know, that person that does that lives in a lot of guilt. And oftentimes that person gives up on trying to be a Christian. And it's so sad because they never really knew what it was to be a Christian. To, to, to be a Christian is way more than living a moral life. If you're just seeking to live a moral life, you don't need the Holy Spirit. But if you're seeking to experience everything God has for you, you have to have the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want for every one of you. Uh, I want you to experience all that God has for you this weekend and the next two weekends. And then, by the way, then we're going to talk about Jesus for six weekends. So, you know, Father, Spirit, Son, this has been a, just a great summer and fall. And, uh, but first, we're going to really make sure we understand the Holy Spirit. And today, we're all going to pray for a fresh uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit where we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. How many of you are ready for a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit? Good. Me too. I already had one last night, but I'm ready for another one. And it's this simple. What did Peter say? Repent of your sins, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, have you repented of your sins? All right. And in a minute, I'm going to give everyone who hasn't the opportunity to repent of fresh sins and say, oh God, I'm so glad I'm in church today because you know what I did and oh, I'm sorry and, I, and please forgive me and I'm turning from that sin again. Now, uh, if you haven't ever been baptized in water, you should You'd be in obedience. We had another 20 people baptized and we'll baptize you. But I think that the Holy Spirit will, 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 will still want to fill you knowing that you're going to be baptized. So now all we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna pray kind of a priestly prayer or a, a prophetic prayer over you. And what you're gonna do is just open up your hands and you're gonna receive a baptism in the Holy Spirit. You ready for that? You're like, man, this is great. I'm so glad I came to church today. Now, if you're online watching, you, you can receive the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, we missed you today, and it'd be better if you were in a group like this, but still, receive the Holy Spirit. All right, you ready? Let's receive the Holy Spirit. Now, clear your mind of any other thought. Now, if there's sin in your life, don't expect God to baptize you in your spirit if you're living in rebellion to God and disobedience to God. Repent of your sin. And now, Spirit of God, I pray that you fall fresh on the Cornerstone family. And this room may not shake and the wind may not blow and I doubt we'll see tongues of fire. But Lord, I believe that the promise that Joel made and that Peter affirmed is for us as well. And I believe that you don't expect us to live this Christian life out in our own strength. So Lord, I pray that you baptize us now with strength. And you give us the ability to serve you. 
Now, some of us are feeling that right now. We're feeling your presence, but some of us aren't feeling anything. And help us not to depend upon that feeling, but now to watch in the days and weeks to come for fruit to start to, to develop in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, mildness, self-control. Change us, transform us, immerse us in the very nature of Jesus. All right, now we're gonna sing a couple of songs and just kind of let this, let the Spirit just wash over us. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. 